Good morning. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17. Uh, We're going to be reading verses 5 through 10 in our reading from the Old Testament this morning. Um, It starts here in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert, shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. We thank you for the blessing and privilege that it is to be called to worship you, to be invited into your presence, to hear your words read, preached, and declared. And we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be present among us in ways that make preaching easy today and hearing these words delightful. We pray that your purposes for our gathering in your name would be accomplished. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. Jeremiah is a prophet to Israel in a time when Israel is having a revival of religion. The context for Jeremiah is King Josiah. He is this king who has brought reform to the nation of Israel. Their most popular preacher is a preacher named Pashur. Pashur is somebody who has a message of peace. How many of you think that sounds like a good message? He's got a message of peace, and he adds another layer to this. He's celebrating all of the great things in Israel's past. King David and his mighty exploits. Solomon, his temple, and his great expanse. In some ways, this is deeply ironic because Israel's on the verge of exile. Israel is not in a good place. Flannery O'Connor would call him a combination of a minister and a masseur. Somebody who knows how to make you comfortable and put you at rest when maybe you should be a little bit uneasy and alert. It's interesting, the gospel reading sets up this beautifully because you have a series of contrasts, right? In the gospel reading that we heard this morning, Jesus is talking about Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry and thirsty. Blessed are you who are mourning. Blessed are you when people are speaking ill of you. Woe to you who are rich. This contrast that we hear in the Gospels, and we hear it in the prophets, those who trust in mere mortals as opposed to those who trust in the Lord, those who trust and and make flesh their strength, those 
whose trust is in God. This sort of contrasting, whether it's Jesus in his sermon or the prophet in his oracle, we see that there are two types of people in the world on some level. And they produce two very different realities. You see, verses 2 and 3 of Jeremiah 17 set this up, and they make it painfully clear that this revival of public religion, Josiah's reforms, and everybody having this sense that they're right with God in Jerusalem is coupled with the fact that they're still celebrating fertility cults in the countryside. They're still going out to what we would call the high places and worshiping false gods. And I think this is why Jeremiah calls out the heart in that famous verse that we, uh, it's, it's hard to hear, but we heard it. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. I'm glad this wasn't the lectionary reading because that would be a rough one to end on right there. Wow. Why is the prophet saying this? He's saying because when it comes down to it, Israel was doing their thing in Jerusalem. They were really on their A-game in Jerusalem, worshiping Jehovah. But apart from Jerusalem, they were worshiping false gods. And I think it's safe to say that you really need a hard heart in order to participate in the true and the false at the same time. Something happens to our souls gives us heart calluses when we try to authentically participate in the true and the false at the same time. Eugene Peterson wrote a wonderful book on the book of Jeremiah called Run with the Horses. And in that book, he said, what Jeremiah did fear was worship without astonishment, religion without commitment. He feared getting what he wanted and missing what God wanted. It is still the only thing worthy of our fear. This sort of divided worship that we see in the text this morning reveals the divided trust. Trust on one day in Jerusalem, in Jehovah, trust in other times in fertility gods. I think the plain language is this. Let's be honest this morning. We trust in people because it's really hard to trust in God sometimes. Let's be candid. For all of his perfection, for all of his power, for all of his wisdom and knowledge, all of the omnis, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, sometimes he doesn't really seem any of those things. It's hard to trust God in what theologians call the face of theodicy, of evil, of sickness, disease, cancer, injustice in the world. These are all huge challenges that if we're really honest thinking people at some point or another, it's hard to trust God, certainly the God of the scriptures. It just is. Sure, if we don't want to think about it, if we want to give God a free pass and look the other way, We can trust God, but that God probably needs a small g. 
It's hard to trust God because, frankly, a lot of us have come from environments in which the God that was presented to us is a malevolent, punitive, petty, vindictive God who's just waiting for somebody to step out of line and really give it to him good. A God who's easily offended, thin-skinned, triggered by our immorality and our selfishness. Trust God? What's interesting here is it says that when they place their trust, if you look with me closely at verse 5, this is a strong word. Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals. It seems like this progresses here because trust in mere mortals seems, and this I'm taking liberty here, I know this, but it seems like when you trust in mere mortals, which is a mindset, you make mere flesh your strength. So one is a mindset and the other one is an actionable thing. You're actually doing something here. And then look at this third line. First, we trust in mere mortals. Secondly, we make flesh our strength. And thirdly, our hearts turn away from the Lord. It almost seems like there's a a resonance with the proverb that says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In our minds, when we're convinced that mere mortals are trustworthy, that mere mortals deserve to be the foundation of our trust, we'll start to live in ways that are so grounded in the natural, we don't have a lot of room for the supernatural. Our strength is going to be in mere flesh, the, the natural realm. And when we do that, it seems like the flow of the text, at least in terms of the grammar, is to say that our hearts go away after things other than God. It seems like what starts in a mindset ekes out into our practice and ultimately shifts our desires, our hearts, the things that we long for, turn away from the kingdom of God. And I honestly don't know that God is standing there saying, I'm going to curse you if you do this. As much as if we do this, we end up in a place we never want to be in. I feel like when we've made up in our mind that we're just going to base our hope and our trust in the natural realm, we're going to start looking for things that are, we're not going to be looking for things that are supernatural. And it will shift our hearts into places we don't want to be. Now look what we have as a contrast here in verse 7. Blessed are those whose trust is in the Lord. I'll say this, as much as it's hard to trust God, it then requires such heroic courage to step up and trust God. I have to believe this morning that there's grace available to each one of us in this room to trust God. There has to be grace because I just sometimes can't muster up the courage required to do it. Listen, if God is just a belief out there that we opine and we talk and, and we just love to ramble on about God, that's one thing. But when we're going to make decisions and choices and live certain things out with our money and our time, that's when the courage is called for. That's when suddenly we find out where our trust is located. If God is just a Sunday morning conversation, this will never be exposed. 
But when it gets down and think of all the cliches you want, brass tacks, rubber meeting the road, whatever you want to say, there comes some point where, where's my trust? Do I really have the courage? It's epic courage to trust this God. Because the fact is we live in a world that is rooted in rationalism and naturalism. And if you told somebody that didn't know Jesus that you were trusting God and they really believed you, they might think you were off a little bit. Did you ever tell somebody that God spoke to you and get a face like, oh, okay. (laughs) This is a weird thing. You see, in this room, when the guy with the microphone and the Bible's preaching and you say, trust God, it's, it's easy to say amen because we're all weird together. Hello, right? We're all in this strange thing together. It's when we get out of this safe space that we're in the nest in the trust tree in this space. When we get out of this space and you start talking about trusting God, it's strange certainly in our culture. There's another reason it takes courage to trust God is at some point, we have to let go of trusting ourselves. Let's keep in mind here, when the prophet says that cursed is is the person who trusts in mere mortals, I'm a mere mortal. I'm flesh. And sometimes my confidence in myself is what needs to be shaken. We see these Beautiful children up here this morning. And one of the things that children do that is just so precious is they get to that phase where they say these powerful words. I can do it. Translation, get away from me. Stop trying to help me. I can do it. Now that's cute when they're toddlers. It's not so cute when they're teenagers. And it's less cute when it's us. Maybe there's a reason Jesus said that we have to be like children to enter the kingdom of heaven. The sooner we realize that we can't do it, maybe the sooner we'll see God do it. But maybe the reason... Trust requires so much heroic courage that it's really hard to trust that God loves us and accepts us as we are. Maybe this is the test of trust that really matters the most. Do I trust that God is as good toward me as he actually says he is? Do I trust that God loves me as much as he says he does. You see, the thing is, God can't be managed. You can't PR your way with God. There's no public relations. There's no image management with God because God sees all. The people who love us in our lives don't know everything about us. Even our spouses, they don't know everything about us. God did give us an inner monologue, amen? I'll give you one more chance to say amen because that was a really good spot to say it. You have an inner monologue. Thanks, God. (laughs) The only person who knows everything about Mark Arstead is God. 
He knows me better than I know me. And here's what's hard to believe. I can't get people to love me well when I'm trying to put my best foot forward. There's no way God could love me knowing everything he knows. In 1 John chapter 3, the apostle says these words in verses 19 and 20. By this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. You see, Jeremiah knew that our unregenerate hearts deceive us, trick us, but they can't trick God. And this is why it's so hard to trust him. He sees this dirty thing inside of me. When my trust rests on others, or even myself, the fact is my trust is resting on shifting soil, shifting sand. We are prone to trust. We read this, and friends, we have to be honest, right? It's just easier to trust people, ourselves, flesh, than it is to trust this God. But the fact is we need to trust God. We need to trust God because he's trustworthy. His concern for us is pure. He's the only person whose motive is absolutely pure. He can be, not be added to. He's not out for something. His concern for us is pure. His attention to us is unrelenting. And his knowledge of us is complete. And what I'm here to say is that when we trust in the divine fully, our creatureliness is healed. Trusting in the divine fully restores our humanness. Brendan Manning is one of my favorite writers. I love describing Brendan Manning to people because he's a divorced, alcoholic, Catholic priest. I'll let you all do the math on that one. That's my kind of guy. I'm not worse than him. Brennan. <laughs> he wrote a book called Ruthless Trust, and I would really commend it to you this morning. In that book, he says this, that that need for trust is the most urgent we have. It is the remedy for much of our sickness, melancholy, and self-hatred. The heart converted from mistrust to trust in the irreversible forgiveness of Jesus Christ is redeemed from the corrosive power of fear. This is what I want for all of us this morning. The preacher didn't come in here to wag his finger in your face and say, cursed is the person who trusts in mere mortals. I came here to say, your humanness can be restored, your soul can be healed, your fear can be stricken out of your soul if you would put your trust in the God who knows you. Our choices are between a desert shrub and a flourishing tree. What does it say about the people who trust in flesh? They shall be like a shrub in the desert. 
St. Basil, when he talks about this shrub, he says, this is a tamarisk tree. And he said, what's ironic here is it points to the fact that the tamarisk tree requires an unusual amount of water, but in this case is spending its time in the desert. And St. Basil says, this is the double-minded person. <sighs> exactly. Oh, uh, okay. Don't buy his book. <laughs> this divided heart, this divided trust. I notice it says that they're unable. I, I love maybe reading the, this a little bit differently. They shall not see when relief comes. Notice it doesn't say relief doesn't come. It just says you won't see it when it comes. There's something about when we trust, when we reduce everything to the natural realm, when we trust in flesh, when we trust in man, when the supernatural relief and provision of God shows up in our situation, I don't think we even recognize it. And the worst part of all of this is that the desert shrub lives not only in parched places, but uninhabited places. Isolation. What an incredible contrast to this tree that is planted by water. Again, a tree is planted. The tree is passive. The tree says, I, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> it says to the gardener, plant me where you think I'm going to flourish best. My wife loves to work in the yard. I have yet to, she talks to the plants, I think. I don't know, but they don't talk back. Danielle, well, yeah, if they do, we might have to. The plant doesn't say, you know, Danielle, I really don't think this is a good spot for me here. The plant doesn't have a say. The tree is planted. That is so beautiful. The imagery here continues to be one of trust, continues to be one where we're hands off, where we're not telling God I can do it, where we're sitting back and say, God, do what only you can do. Such a beautiful image. And look what flows out of this. Because we surrender to his placement, we don't fear change in the atmosphere. It gets hot, we're not afraid. We're not nervous. Because I didn't put myself here. Hello. Right? The master gardener knew what he was doing when he put me here. So when the weather changes, I'm not upset. When a drought comes, I'm not worried. This is why trust heals our hearts. This is why Manning is so right. This conversion of our soul that says, I'm going to trust in the irreversible forgiveness of Jesus Christ and his love for me. It sets me free. Notice it says that there's this sense of constancy and persevering, that the leaves are always green and they don't cease to bear fruit. This is poetic language. This is not some sort of uh, allegory promise that we can pick apart. It's meant to cast the image before us that we can't be shut down, we can't be stopped, we can't be overcome because he's planted us, because he's our trust. I think it's so interesting that today's lectionary calls for Psalm 1 to be read in response to Jeremiah's reading. You may remember that. Blessed is the man text, for he is like a tree planted by streams of living water. The prophet here mentioned the tree planted by water, and it echoes the psalmist in this way. Today's sermon brought with it a very specific task. 
And as soon as I saw the lectionary text today, my heart was full because I knew the Holy Spirit was helping me. You see, the Hebrew word for planted, this tree that is planted, is shothal. And the majority of its appearances in the Old Testament speak to transplanting, digging a plant up and relocating it. In other words, one could say that the blessed man of Psalm 1, the blessed man of Jeremiah 17, is dug up and transplanted by streams of water. This image is very comforting, but it's also profoundly humbling in that our part is passive. God is acting on us. In contrast to the idea of us carving out our own destiny, this image suggests that God wants to pick us up and he wants to place us in particular settings for our good. In this sense, you could say that Danielle and the girls were dug up with me in the summer of 2017, and we were transplanted from the soil of New York into the soil of Tulsa. And this was a move we made because after much prayer and reflection, we sensed that God was shifting the ground around us. I came here at Bishop Ed's request to serve as your interim pastor. His desire and ours was that our time here would bring a season of stability and strength and that it would create space for God to do a work in all of our hearts. And I know that we've all had our fair share of bumps and bruises along the way, along with a dash of culture shock thrown in. Uh, but ultimately, our testimony this morning is that the Lord's hand has been on us all for each step of this journey, and we do love you, and we are grateful for the privilege of serving you. After several months of praying and wrestling, conversing and consulting with the bishops, Danielle and I have agreed that the soil is indeed shifting again for us. We are in the beginning phases of bringing our period of interim ministry uh, to a close here at Sanctuary. And our hope and our plan right now is that by midsummer of this year, we will be transplanted by our next stream of water. We are actively and prayerfully engaged in that process right now. We're also working with the bishops, with the vestry, and the staff here to do whatever we can to assist in this season of transition. We recognize that shifts like this are never easy, but we will be diligent and faithful to support sanctuary as much as we possibly can in these upcoming months. We love you. We are deeply grateful for the opportunity to serve you and to get to know so many of you during this interim season of ministry. And if I can, I'd like to make two requests. The first one is please pray for us, for me, for Danielle, for the girls. Um, that we would faithfully submit to the work of our Heavenly Father, the one that Jesus called the vine dresser. Secondly, please renew your commitment to your leaders here. They care for you. Support them through this time of transition. We will pray for sanctuary, that God's will would be done among you, among you all, that he be glorified through you. What a beautiful message on trust, Pastor. Um, 
This is a time for all of us to trust, uh, trust in what God is doing in our world here, in our lives. If you look at the scriptural story um, from the genesis of life through the resurrection of Jesus to this very moment, we see this story about God and his love for his people. We also, as we read the scripture, we experience a long list of people that God used to carry his story in the world. We're thankful uh, for Pastor Mark and Danielle and their wonderful girls and how they will always be a part of our story here at Sanctuary. Coming from a church where they spent their entire lives uh, in New York to join us in the flyover region of the U.S. in in Tulsa uh, was a big, big step. Um, The sacrifices they made to uproot their lives were huge. You've given your full hearts to this. Um, You've given your full life to this, to the work of the Lord. And we believe in what God's going to do in you and through you um, in your next journey. And we'll always be thankful. This year's sanctuary uh, is going to celebrate our 20th anniversary. We've gone through a fair amount of change, if you've been with us for a couple of days. Um, (laughs) In the beginning, Pastor Ed Gunger, now Bishop Ed, was leading a body, and Janice and I were leading a body. Um, We were both fascinated um, with the full expression, all the different expressions of Christ, looking for how we could integrate a a high value for Scripture, a freedom for the work of the Spirit and the move of the Spirit in our midst and the rhythms of the historical church. Eight years ago now, It seemed right to blend our bodies together. Some of you were there in the beginning. Some of you have connected along the way. We believe that sanctuary has always been about being a safe place for people to bring their honest, true lives, and even questions to God. A place of healing and hope. A place for people to find new life and new beginnings and to be formed more into the likeness of Christ. With all the things along the way, our focus is still the same. We are now looking at the horizon for what lies ahead. One of the most beautiful things to me is that we're not in this alone, that we're set in a larger body to help us discern God's voice and direction. We're working with the Council of Bishops in our journey to find a permanent rector here at Sanctuary. Permanent. Bishop Ed, uh, Bishop Quint Moore, some of you know him. He's actually the presiding bishop over the whole CEC. And Bishops Mike and Beth Owens are all involved in this process. You'll have an opportunity to meet them um, in the months to come here. We've always valued a variety of voices uh, in the pulpit here at Sanctuary. And so we'll, as we move forward, we're going to move more into a rotation. Uh, Dr. Chris Green will be here more often than he has been recently. Pastor Mark, of course, will continue to share um, for some of the time as he is here. Pastor Paul will step up and and share more as Janice and I will. You will also have an opportunity to hear from our bishops. Each of them bring years of experience and richness in their ministry. As I've mentioned to you um, just personally over the years, um, I'm not a big change guy. I like to get things in order, and to leave them that way, and to feel secure. 
But after coming up um, to somewhere around 40 years of ministry now, I've realized that change is inevitable. And it is one of the pathways that God uses to work in the world. Probably without change, we would tend to idolize people, structures, or systems. Janice and I love doing life with you in this community. We love being about what sanctuary is commissioned to be. And we're trusting and very, very hopeful for our future together. So pray with us, as Pastor Mark said. Um, pray for them as we continually will. And um, we trust that God has a beautiful thing on the horizon for all of us. Pastor Paul is going to come now and, and uh, lead us into our creed. If this is your first time worshiping at Sanctuary, <laughs> well, come back next week. This is pretty, pretty typical. Um, for those of you visiting for baby dedications, we're glad that you're here today. Um, sanctuary, a couple things that I, I want to say to us. One is that we have a future. And... If on any level that seems ambiguous to you, that future was standing here in front of us today. Um, in hindsight, I don't know that we would have done baby dedications on the same day as, as this kind of announcement, but at the same time, uh, I love that intersection, that we are still a body of believers, we are still a family, community, and we're still committed to one another, and we have a future. And second, we are going to be cared for. The Council of Bishops, Sanctuary's Vestry Board, Sanctuary staff, um, you are our priority. This house is our priority. And I believe that we are still graced to have a voice in the city of Tulsa. And I would also want to say that we need your help. We need your prayer. We need your support in this next season. And of course, what I love about Sanctuary is that our identity as a community is not rooted in whoever is standing in this space, but that we have rooted our identity in who we are when we come to this table, that we are a community of people who believe in a deep sense of belonging and belovedness, that we belong to one another more than just the personality and the person that's standing in this space. We also find our identity in the creed. And so in moments where we feel like we're going through transition in moments where we feel like we have doubt creeping in in moments when we feel confusion, we can rest in this creed. So would you stand with me as we profess this faith that saves us?